Today in the show, we're talking about the problem with abundance. Welcome to Simple Money Solutions Podcast, your path to financial independence through deliberate lifestyle choices. My name's Courtney, I'm your host, and I'm joined with my co-host Trevor. And today on the show, we're talking about the problem with abundance. And you know, on the surface, you would wonder, you know, how can abundance, which is really too much, how, how can that possibly be a problem? But I, I really believe at the core of our society, it, it is an underlying problem that festers and causes a lot of sort of collateral damage along the way. I, I think abundance, you know, on the show, we've talked about minimalism and, and I'm going to say minimalism is kind of the opposite of abundance, but we promote the, the, all the positives of minimalism, but I think it's worth talking about, so say maybe you don't want to be an extreme minimalist, right? I know, so nobody wants to sign up for that maybe. Then you should consider it, but just even in some aspect of your life, you should consider minimalism. If not, I'm not saying go across the board, but minimalize some aspect of your life, but that's a tangent. But if you look at the other extreme of, of abundance, even if it's in some aspect of your life, move if you don't want to move toward the extreme of minimalism move away from the extreme of abundance would be an improvement no you are right i think the idea of abundance is one that doesn't necessarily feel to us like a problem or like something that complicates our life so i i do like the focus on this today well so- and i i think abundance is <laughs> Too much never looks like a problem, right? Too much never looks like a problem until until it it's too much until it crosses some sort of threshold and it, it becomes uh, obscenely too much. So the problem is you don't know when you have too much until you've gone too far. And that's a that's a dangerous and slippery slope to get down. And so really, that is what we're talking about on the show today. I'm going to kind of go through a high level overview of what we'll be talking about, what you can look forward to hearing. So we're going to go through and talk about the problem with scarcity, the problem with abundance, some examples of these throughout history, even from an economic standpoint as well. And we're going to go on to talking about some examples of where abundance occurs in our society um, and lastly, we're going to finish up the show with how to solve the problem with abundance because, spoiler alert, it is a problem. Um, and before we do dive into that, Trevor, I, did, I do want to make mention that we have received um, a, a kind of a great inflow of listener feedback, listener comments, and listener questions. So we we will be kind of covering some of those at the beginning of next week's episode. So if there is any questions you want to get in, um, we are recording this in live time. So when it is released on Tuesday, Tuesday, um, you have until the the kind of the rest of that week to submit any questions through our contact submission form on our website, livelifesimple.ca. There's a contact submission form right at the top. You can also reach out to us always at any time through our social media platforms, Facebook and Instagram at Simple Money Solutions, or through our email, livelifesimple365 at gmail.com. But all that will be in our show notes, so you don't have to worry about remembering any of that. So Trevor, I want to kind of start off. So you, this show with talking about, you made mention to scarcity. So uh, so you're saying that abundance is the opposite of scarcity. Yeah, I I really believe. So the opposite of abundance would be scarcity. And you think you want abundance, but we actually don't. And here's some examples of where we covet scarcity. So think of one of the kind things you buy 
or, or something that's handmade, meaning no, no two look the same. I mean, that's something, when, when, you, when you buy something handmade, the first thing you're going to tell everybody, look at this, this a purse, it's handmade. I mean, there's no two alike. So that's scarcity, an example of scarcity. A, collector, a collector's edition, if you ever bought something that's a collector's edition, I, I don't own anything like that, but you hear people talk about they bought a something that's a collector's edition, and the, the whole idea that, that is they make a limited number of these whatevers, widgets, and they're collector's editions, meaning once they're gone, they're gone. You, you can't get another one. Uh, another example of scarcity is antiques or retro or vintage. Those are kind of catchphrases in, in that sort of area. A limited edition, or or here's one: the iPhone just released. You want to be the, the one of the few people that have the latest iPhone. Eventually, everyone's going to have it, but you you want for a period of time to be the have this this scarce item that only a few people have. So we actually covet scarcity, but it we we think we want abundance, but I really don't think when you get to the core of it, I really don't think people want abundance. The only thing you could want in abundance would be money, but I'm going to point out there's a flaw to that too. So I think in itself, the word scarcity has a really, it kind of has a negative connotation in its general use from a day-to-day term. Would you agree with that? It is It is framed in a negative tone often, but it, it, so the words I use to describe scarcity are positive spins on it, right? But it, I mean, if food is in short supply, it's if it's scarce, I mean, that's obviously a bad thing. And my other point before we kind of move through the show is I know for a fact, and I'm sure maybe you've fall, fallen victim to this as well or anyone listening to this, and maybe not on purpose, but the idea of scarcity is often commonly used as a marketing tactic as well. I know in particular a specific um, an influencer I follow on social media released a protein powder that was uh, quote-unquote limited edition and when it was gone, it was gone is, is what kind of the message around that was. But mere weeks later, it was restocked. And then that was limited edition again. So at the end of the day, are things really scarce? Well, there. so there's, I'm going to go on a Costco rant here because this is what I do. <laughs> so Costco, their marketing strategy, I don't have a Costco membership, but I know enough people that do that. I understand how it works. So They'll carry seasonal items or, or things in their hardware section or electronics. And once it's gone, they, they're, it's gone. So just say there's a table and chair set for sale at Costco. And it's, it's really shiny. Like it's oak or cherry or some fancy wood. And it's a, it's a reasonable price. But you know the way Costco operates that once that, that dinette is gone, you're, you can't get that same dinette again. There'll be another dinette. It'll look different. You, well, you don't even know what it's going to look like. You just know there'll be another one. But that particular style is gone. So they create this sense of scarcity on everything they sell. So that's, I'm going to say we should view scarcity as a, uh, there's there's a devious plan behind it. Because in, in our North American society, there is scarcity really doesn't exist. There There isn't scarcity. The shelves are never bare. You know, something in our society that, that that was made to believe it was in scarce supply was was um, cellular data for your phone plan. And I remember reading this article on Reddit, and somebody said it was it was in this subreddit, and the article the guy's writing it up like a news article, and he's saying, you know, there's been a 
a copper mine discovered in Alberta. And the copper doesn't exist in Canada, just for the record. And it, it's, it's, it's has, you know, thousands of pounds of copper. And right beside it, they found a seam of data. <laughs> They're going to start mining that too. Because data plans at the time were so outrageously expensive. Now, now they're like, they're unlimited. And, but the, the carriers were treating it like this was a scarce resource. It was, it was in limited supply. Like, don't, don't waste it, <laughs> which is crazy, right? It's, so this, this, this artificial sense of scarcity, if, if you start buying into scarcity as a marketing strategy, just step step back and and say we live in the plant in the in the land of plenty. Scarcity does not really exist here in North America. It may exist in parts of the world. I, I'm not doubting that, but we are not suffering from scarcity of any kind. We we are next door to the largest economic engine in the world. There's goods and services flowing in here first, and then if there's any left over, they share it with the rest of the world. No, I, I agree with that. And, and that really brings me to my next question for you. And that's the problem with scarcity and, and what that scarcity mindset really delivers. So the problem with scarcity is, the biggest problem is, is you worry about the future. You, 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 it generates emotions like fear and anxiety and it's it, it tends to be an all or nothing mindset. So that's the problem with scarcity is if you if that emotion arrives in you and you believe something's in scarce, then you start those emotions. Those so the worry of the future, anxiety, fear, an all or nothing mentality. When you're at Costco, it's it's this dinette or nothing. You know, you you start to you start to generate the fight or flight instinct, right? And it. it it's wrong and you shouldn't, but that, that, that's the problem with, with you viewing something as scarce. And, and just to confirm, again, if we are feeling any of these things that you just described that come along with the idea of feeling, scar- feeling that scarcity is real, those are simply just imagined. And again, in Canada, in, in, in very well-off countries, these are just marketing tactics making us feel this way. So if that's a problem with scarcity, you talked earlier that there is a problem with abundance, but I mean, what does what does that look like? So I've spent the first 10 minutes of the show beating down scarcity, but I'm actually a fan of scarcity. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's 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 where that's where I'm coming from. I'm like if if scarcity looks so bad then artificial scarcity is dangerous. Real scarcity is a is a useful thing that we we as humans have been designed to deal with. But here's the problem with abundance. So abundance, again, in our first world problem of North America, there's no off switch. So if if things are in abundance, we, we just keep consuming. There's no ceiling on a, the only, okay, here's a good one. TVs, they're getting larger and larger. To me, that's abundance. Like there's at some point a TV is bigger than it needs to be. And it, it turns out the limiting factor in a TV is going to be the size of your front door. <laughs> that, that's the limiter. So we're getting TV screens in abundance. And, and there's, so there's no ceiling now. I've described one, but I guess what? They're going to start building houses with bigger front doors. Uh, there's, there's no built-in limitations. Uh, there's no fear or concern for the future. And you should always be thinking about the future. Uh, 
and it, it's it's an it's an it will always be their mindset and and i think abundance is more dangerous because as humans we have been hardwired to deal with scarcity if you go back to our hunter gatherer days there was food was at times scarce, right? And we'd have to become better hunters and better gatherers. But we 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 became resourceful. But in a, in a world of abundance, you just you get lazy. I mean, that's the biggest problem with abundance. No, I I really like that connection to our more primal state back way back many years ago because I'm just thinking about it and. and no, nowhere in history have we been trained how to deal with all of the options and all of the things and all of the everything. There, there's, there's been no, nothing in us that has made that problem just inherently easy to deal with. Here's, here's a good example of, of how abundance is, is bad. So think of email. Email was invented to solve the snail mail problem. You know, your mail would come once a day. And if the, if you miss the mail, you'd you'd get it the next day. Like it was mail. The solution was email. Now, if you think it had, did, email solve anything? I, I don't think so. It's became it's become an incredible, ineffective communication tool. When it first started, it was like uh, it was a miracle that the skies parted. I mean, I can get emails instantly. This was like mind blowing. Now, I think everybody listening to this, if we could reinvent email we would do it completely different i what do you think courtney would would you go with the status quo for email or if you had a chance to do this over if you had a do-over would you do email differently oh i would a hundred percent do email differently and i mean it goes one step further than that there are i'm thinking kind of a work setting right now because that's i think where we all deal with email the most and i mean I, there's there's instant messenger instant messaging programs too with work and that's even more instantaneous and I, I mean honestly I think anyone listening to this episode today would be lying if they said their inbox was at zero always because it, the, the the emails just come flowing and I mean for you Trevor I mean I'm sure you would re re envision as well but you started your working career before um, com- computers really were a mainstream thing so what did that look like for you. So we had this thing where I worked, we had this intercompany mail. So this this person drove in a van and they would go to all the locations for the company I worked for. The, the company I worked for was based around Toronto and they had a bunch of locations in the city and around the perimeter of the city. And they would drive around to each location and they'd pick up mail and drop off mail. And so you got mail once a day and you'd get this pile of mail on your desk and you'd have the whole day to go through it, sort through it. Uh, you know, act on it and then get your mail together to get out the next day. And it would, this very predictable flow of, of, of mail, right? And he, that was really your workflow. And now email showed up and for a while you had both, you had regular mail plus email. But here, here's an example where, where electronic communication is broken. So this is where I work right now. If you you want to check the box that you've done all you can do to contact somebody to pass on some important information. So you, you are to send them an email, type them a text message, call their desk phone. If nobody answers, leave a message. Call their cell phone. If nobody answers, leave a message. And call, everyone has this, you know, if you can't hold me, contact, you know, Joe. 
<laughs> and you've done all the same things for Joe. So you've done all those that that electron or that, that communication. And then you can you can sit back and say, okay, I did all I could do to get hold of this guy. If they don't call me back, it's on them. <laughs> to me, that that's that is broken in so many ways. If we could reinvent email and there was an etiquette to email, meaning you would only send email for really important things, not just cover my butt. That, that's what most people, that's how email got broken. Everyone would send it to say, well, hey, I sent you an email, it's on you. <laughs> and, and to me, that, 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 that's broken. So if, if you wouldn't write a letter and just send it off randomly, like people would write a letter if they really had something important to say to somebody. They'd write a letter, buy a stamp, put an envelope, put it in the mailbox. That was an important communication. Email, a lot of times it's just garbage, right? You come in into your inbox. So I, I think that's an example where we've, taken something and it is now so abundant it's useless no i i agree with that and I, i'm sure everyone listening to this can agree with that too anyone who has an email they're like yep that is a thing and when i'm listening to abundance i mean I, i'm another example that really pops in my head and trevor this might it, it might resonate with you but um as a uh, bluetooth headphones any anyone Bluetooth headphones? <laughs> well, I don't know. I don't think I'm too many of those. <laughs> <laughs> always more, always in abundance. But um, I, I my my real question for you is: Do you truly believe then that we are living in a world where too much is truly becoming a problem? So, in a world where where everything's in abundance, too many choices causes us to be careless and I believe directionless. When you when you have something like I'm going to say consumer goods in such abundance that you could buy a toaster and it's so cheap and there's so many different toasters that you can just, you know, use it for a month. You, you paid $15 for it. If it turns out it, it doesn't toast fast enough or doesn't have enough settings, you can donate it and go get another one. And, and it, I mean, it's not going to change your world financially, but that's, it's so wasteful. So I, I think... Uh, the biggest problem we have in our society with abundance is the amount of consumer goods that we have at such a low price. I think we treat a lot of things as disposable when really we're not thinking about the environmental impact of that disposability, that that disposable mindset. Or also the financial impact as well. We may be, like you said, less, more careless with our purchasing decisions, knowing that we can easily rectify it if we do make the wrong decision, which is good this, and bad. But This sounds crazy, but the, the low cost of the made-in-China consumer goods is actually that that is contributing to the problem of abundance. That That is the problem, is is as soon as something new and shiny comes along, we can quickly dispatch with the old and bring in the new. Like when was the last time, so I'll ask the listeners, when was the last time you got rid of something, uh, uh, clothing or household goods, like like household items that actually wore out or broke? Like when was the last time you got rid of an article of clothing because it wore out, like you wore a hole in it? Like it was literally... It, it would no longer was it clothing your body. When was the last time you got rid of something because it, it wore out? Like when I, I see, I, every time I, I go to the, we have a place I've mentioned in the podcast before, it's called Beyond the Blue Box, is where people can take things and donate them. And it's basically a secondhand store, a, a ginormous secondhand store. And there's so many things in there 
that are in perfect working order that I, I have no idea how they end up here. They have a whole section full of lamps, okay, lamps that uh, I'm not an interior decorator, but they, sorry, there's nothing wrong with these lamps. The, the, the lampshades are impeccable. I mean, it's not like it's got a broken lampshade even. Now, I'm guessing they just don't go with the decor of somebody's house anymore, and that's an example. All the electronics in that, that secondhand store are in mint condition. They're just, they're not modern anymore. And clothing galore, I mean, clothing that is in mint condition. So th there are so many things in there that, and toys. I mean, okay, I don't shop for a lot of toys, but I happen to see them there and they all look like they're in perfectly working order. There is a ton of, and so in a world of abundance, like we're, we're not, we're not using all of our our stuff to its fullest capability. We're 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 getting rid of it when it's still got half a life left. And I, I mean the 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 financial, the personal finance financial consequence of that. I just it's stacked with with all of the consumers in in North America alone. I just I can't even I can't even fathom what what that looks like that that dollar amount. So I mean. Obviously, there is a lot to say in terms of problems with abundance, but I mean, boil down. So if we we know that there is a lot of marketing and 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 marketing viewpoints around scarcity, but at the end of the day, before we kind of go any further, I just is scarcity better than abundance? Then it just kind of weighing both. So the if I had to choose one over the other. Is scarcity comes with fewer, uh, fewer self-inflicted consequences, and and I say that in that quite often abundance comes with the paradox of like you you have you have choice to make, and you can make the wrong choice. So if you have too many options in our first world society, too many choices, too many good choices, then I, I think you you run the risk of, of making the wrong choice. Whereas if 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 you have limited options, limited choices, I think for me personally, I'm less stressed out unless I, I know like without question, I, I want a, a sky blue Dodge minivan with a beige interior. Like, you know, that, that's a no brainer. I'm buying one of those every day of the week. I mean, unless I have this, this thing I, I know I want and, and it's, it's in abundance, then I guess that works out for me. But if I have choices, I some I struggle with too many choices. I mean, we've did a podcast on that before, and I I don't think I'm alone. I talk to people who you know, you you end up I'm gonna th I'm gonna say with things that are scarce. You end up with like okay, go back to Costco. That dinette is is this is a okay. I'm promoting Costco. I don't know. Maybe I've lost my mind, but that dinette it's it's that one or not or nothing, right? If I don't buy this one, actually that's not true because they're gonna put another dinette there. It's just gonna look different. So. But but you're talking of real examples of of genuine good good old fashioned scarcity, like I think that's healthy. I think like genuine scarcity, not yeah, you're right, not artificial marketing scarcity, but real scarcity. I I think is is a good thing. So when we are thinking then about the idea of scarcity, and I we will as well go into the show. Uh, later in the show into kind of more more examples of how scarcity does look in our North American society and, and kind of a genuine, more positive 
positive way and positive forms that we can really embrace it. But there's, we don't just have scarcity in physical items and tangible items. There's also scarcity in, in opportunity as well. So can you speak to that a little? You know, that's a good example. So here, so with, here's an example where I, I never go to an, the, the problem with, the problem is you, 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 you don't have resourceful, like you lose your resourcefulness when, when, I, okay, here's one thing. I never, I never go to an all-you-can-eat restaurant. That's just a value system of mine. I, I do not go to all-you-can-eat restaurants, and I, I don't because that abundance of food is. There's no upside to that. I mean, you're just gonna gorge and overconsume food. And okay, if you look at the the pounds of food for the dollars spent, it's probably a really good deal. But are those pounds of food really good for you at, at one meal, one sitting? Is it really good for you to? I, I, I've I've been to those restaurants in in that I, I've gone to like a a retirement dinner. That's an example. This one coming to my mind. So like I, I can't say, hey guys, <laughs> I have to skip the retirement dinner. I don't do all you can eat restaurants. That's an example where I had to for. But here's what I do when I go there. When, if I go to a regular restaurant, and I don't really eat a lot, but I I I order an entree. It comes on one plate of food. That's my meal. But for some crazy reason, people go into an all-you-can-eat restaurant and they're, they're okay filling their plate four times, sometimes five times, but at four seems to be the, the, the norm. When I've been in, ever been in one, I, I just do a, a mental note and how many people go up and fill their plate four times. And then what people will do is they'll, they might put something on their plate they didn't like and they'll just leave it there. The, in the, there's half a plate of food and the wait staff will take that away and obviously they're throwing it out. That's wasteful. So all you can eat restaurants, there's nothing good. There's no upside to an all you can eat restaurant. That's an example where, and so I'm not saying you should be resourceful, but when I go to a a restaurant to eat out for whatever celebration it is, I I don't order something I would eat at home. I I order something that I wouldn't eat at home, you know, just to learn about a new food. So that's an, an opportunity at a restaurant to learn about new foods that you, maybe you say, oh, okay, I like this. I might try making it at home. You go to an all you can eat restaurant. It, it, that, that's abundance and it's wasteful. It, it's in, I, I, I refuse to go to those places unless it, the example he uses, I went to a retirement dinner. No, I, I agree with that. But what is that then? I, I kind of want to zero in on that, that mentality. What is it about, abundance in say food that looks appealing like it obviously doesn't make sense to you but there's a reason all you can eat buffets still exist and unlimited access to resources still exist like there's there's a reason that we 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 feel better when we have more options so so where do you think instinctually that that comes from that idea I think people are just doing the math. They're saying, you know, I'm, I'm going to, this restaurant's not going to make money on me. I, I've actually heard people say that, right? They're going to go into a restaurant and so here's a common one we have in Meyer. It's called the Mandarin. It's sort of a, or a Asian style food. And the, it's an all you can eat restaurant. And this is where I went to this retirement dinner. And the, the, I think it was twenty four ninety nine per person. So you walk in the door, you pay twenty four ninety nine. And you can eat as much food as you can possibly consume. And that, that is so unhealthy. But I think the mindset is people are trying to maximize their dollars. All of a sudden, they're, they're doing math on their, on their meal ticket. And 
I I think twenty four ninety nine to eat a, a nice meal in a nice restaurant. It's a little on the high side, but it's not outrageous. It's not it's not like I I need to eat four plates of food to make, to make up for this outrageous price. I mean, that's you know if I had a plate of food in a dessert, I, I think I will have you know me and the restaurant are even. Yeah, no, I I agree with that. So I, there, uh, before we keep going on, there is a great article I just want to make mention to. It's from automation.com and it's called The Problems of, of Abundance. Yeah, they, I found this article and it was it's very interesting. It's, it's, it's kind of like a white paper and it, it really outlines uh, our society and, and the uh, sort of the overarching problem of abundance in our society. It's a really good read. I, it'll be in the show notes. So another example I kind of want to make mention to is one that, I mean, I, I personally can't relate to because I live in the time of Netflix and all the streaming services, but dating back to the pre-internet era and, and the phenomenon of simply just having a TV. Yeah, that's an interesting concept. So we live in a world where we have an abundance of entertainment choices. We, we, you think of all the streaming services that are out there and there's a new one coming out, it seems, every week or every month. And the number of on-demand shows you can watch, we have reached the point where, and I don't watch a lot of TV, but I hear a lot of people say this, that they just, there's so many things to watch they don't know what to watch. So, And this is not, this is true. So I, I read, okay, I read it on the internet, it must be true. <laughs> um, apparently Netflix is toying with the idea of putting a, a, a uh, you can change the speed at which you watch shows. Like, so you can do like uh, 1.5 speed or two times speed. So it's like you're speed watching TV shows. Stop. I'm serious. I'm serious. And okay, anyone who listens to podcasts, this is a thing on podcasts. You can you can speed them up and listen to them at, at two times speed, right? So you, <sighs> you end up, you can consume more. So, okay, so uh, unless you're watching uh, Planet Earth or some kind of documentary on Netflix and you're trying to get more documentary knowledge in, I can get behind that. But other than that, if you're speed watching your favorite TV series, I I don't know about that. So we've, we've the problem with TV used to be before the internet in, say, you didn't even have cable is there was, you know, a handful of channels to watch and at any moment in time, there may legitimately be nothing to watch. Like if you're not into documentaries and it at that, that moment in time, there's five channels and there's there's nothing on. Like if you're not a sports fan and you're not into documentaries, there's literally nothing to watch. Just just say that, that was your, your thing. And so the world, technolo- technological world, decided we can solve this with the internet. And... I'm going to say they solved something that wasn't really broken. So watching too much TV is a problem. Watching limited TV was... The the thing with when there was something on TV, you were fully engaged and everybody was watching that something, right? So back going back in the day, Thursdays at 8 o'clock was the primetime slot for the the most popular TV show. So it might have been way back in time, it was Cheers and then it was... Seinfeld, then it was Friends, and I, I, I've lost track. But it, the, at Thursday at 8 o'clock was the show, and everybody would you knew was watching that show at 8 o'clock. That was kind of a neat thing. But now you've got this binge watching. I, I don't think we solved anything by just flooding 
the internet with on-demand TV shows to the point that you don't know what to watch. Like it's, it's almost paralysis by analysis, right? You, you don't know what to watch next. And I, I, I don't watch much TV, but I, I hear the frustration in a lot of people who do watch a lot of TV. No, I'm glad you mentioned that because back to the idea that I think we like the idea of abundance. I mean, the one, so one example of abundance, which is actually a good and positive is the example of a, of a, your local library. I mean, you have an abundant amount of resources there free just due to the nature of a library. So I think that's really beneficial. But when we try to translate that over, I think we just like the idea of options. And again, we've talked about choice and the idea of having lots of choices on a previous episode, like you mentioned, Trevor, but just, I think we like the idea of abundance. And even if you walk into a bulk barn and there's abundance of bulk options, like I think we just like that. See, I, I think the, here's when you go to the library and there's a limited number of books to choose from and you find an author you like and you check out that book, you got one book. You got one book for, three, I'll say, three weeks to read. Now you end up buying yourself a Kindle e-reader or you use your iPad and you can download you know, a book every couple of minutes <laughs> on your device and then you end up with, I'm going to say, 30 books on your Kindle to read. And you start reading one book and, you know, it starts out kind of slow. You said, I don't like this book. I'm going to try a different one. And then you start reading the next book and you say, oh, this one's kind of slow too. And you give up on it. You might be giving up on really good novels. It just started slow, right? They're doing some character character development and and you've given up on some really good stories. And But if you only had one book, back in the day, you had one book checked out of the library from your favorite author, you were going to muscle through the 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 challenging parts of those stories and you you were probably pretty happy you finished the book in the end. I I do like that contrast. And if we turn that into more of a personal finance example, would you say that take paying off a house, for example, if the option of, so we we, we have an abundance maybe of options in paying off your mortgage. I'm not sure if that's a thing. It is because of the number of years you can pay off your mortgage. But if 25 years doesn't, or sorry, 15 years doesn't work for you, we can do 20 or 25 or 30. Like, is that, is that an example that of an abundance in the personal finance realm? Well, well here's the problem. They invented a thing called the home equity line of credit. There, there's an example. So as soon as you get enough equity paid off on your mortgage, you can, you can re-borrow that money back and go right back into debt. That's an example of abundance. You know, back when my I was a kid and my, my parents were of coming of age, raising a family, credit was, was this rare thing that only the well-to-do had access to. And... Now you you can get credit. Uh, I mean, any almost anybody can get credit and multiple sources. Like I mean, I, I I barely know anybody who has one credit card, right? I know people that got multiple credit cards, and that abundance is super dangerous. Oh, I agree, and I think there's also if we don't have a credit card, we don't have access to options, and we look around and compare ourselves to other people in society. I think there there's also that perceived notion that we should want abundance we should be striving for that so i think that's also very dangerous as well just nature of our our society here's a fun fact about abundance so the more humans in the history of the human race have died from too much nutrition 
meaning too much food, than not enough, meaning starvation. So that, that's a staggering piece of information. So more people, are, more people since humans have existed have now died from too much food as opposed to not enough. And the, the human body was designed to survive periods of scarcity, meaning periods of where food was not in abundance. And we, it, we're designed, we store it as fat. So we, when we find a big supply of food, we would eat it and we'd eat beyond full. Our body would store it as fat cells. And then in times of scarcity, our body would consume that those in, in to keep our body alive. The problem is we don't go through periods of scarcity anymore. So that's where abundance is it it's literally killing us. No, I and I have heard something similar to that and it it, it, it it's startling, but I do believe it. I want to now talk on move on to talking about something the idea of basically scarcity and abundance and how that has played out in in history in the revolutionary promises that we have received as a society so i found i read a book called sapiens so it's not a personal finance book but it's a super interesting book and every, i think everyone should read it I, i'm not even going to attempt the author's name uh, cuz it, it's it's not an it's not a pronunciation i'm familiar with but he, he wrote a book called Sapiens. He wrote a sequel to it called Homo Deus, which I have not read yet, but it's on my to-be-read list. But in there, he talks about four revolutionary revolutions that the human race has, has seen or, or been through. So the first one was the agricultural revolution. And it was supposed to solve the hunger problem. And it was supposed to make our lives better to, to eliminate hunger. But it, it, it failed in delivering its full promise in that we ended up becoming landowners and we spent a lot of time defending our land and, and we ended up rather than being hunter gatherers, we, we ended up being farmers doing this repetitive work, which was hard on our bodies. And we, we went from having this vast uh, variety of foods we were consuming to consuming primarily the foods that we farmed. So we ended up with a, an, a worse diet. So the agricultural revolution it may have solved starvation, but it didn't completely deliver. And so the next revolution, and I could be missing some in here, but the next one that I found interesting was the Industrial Revolution. And it was supposed to make our lives physically easier. And it, it, it kind of, it didn't quite deliver in that we ended up working in factories, again, at repetitive jobs, but demanding, physically demanding repetitive jobs, so, and we were not out in the sun. So farming would have been better than, than factory work from the standpoint of this, this author. And we, our life did, didn't get physically easier. We worked physically harder in, in, in earning our money. And then our, our non-working life got easier with the, you know, the invention of the automobile and those kind of things. So, but it, it was kind of a trade-off. And then the next revolution it's worth talking about is the technological revolution. And it was supposed to make our lives more efficient, but it didn't really deliver in that we're just expected to do more. So the technological revolution was supposed to give us all this free time, right? It was supposed to, it was supposed to do all this work for us. So we had all this luxury time, but it like that example of email, 
all that that revolution did was it, it, we were expected to accomplish more in the same hours of day. Would you agree with that, Courtney? Have you, you've experienced that revolution? Oh, for sure. Definitely. So the next revolution on the horizon is the artificial intelligence revolution. And I'm going to say, I don't know what that revolution is promising, but you, I think you can be certain that it's, it's not going to deliver just based on history. And it, it is, it, it's, it's really fascinating, but in all these examples, there definitely is this idea that the revolutions are, are attempting to solve a scarcity side of things. They, they are. So all these revolutions were to deliver abundance of, so the first one was the abundance of food. The next one was the abundance of consumer goods. And then the technological revolution was supposed to deliver abundance of information and artificial intelligence, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure what it's going to deliver, but it, it's, it's going to be solving some sort of abundance or scarcity problem of some kind. And again, all of those are with the assumption that there is a, a problem to be solved. Well, I believe there was a, a, uh, a scarcity of food problem that needed to be solved as the population was growing. But I really, the technological revolution, I really so maybe more leisure time, you know, leisure time was maybe scarce and had it delivered that, that would have been great, but it actually, we just, we were ended up having to be more efficient. So I, I think they were all, those revolutions were with the best intentions to solve a problem of scarcity, but I, they, they kind of didn't completely deliver. Before we do go on to talking about some really tangible examples of abundance, the problem with abundance are five really core problems along with how to solve the abundance problem. There's a really great uh, article and a piece from the article that I'm going to read. It's from tech.com and it's entitled Society Doesn't Know How to Deal with Abundance. So a little segment from it, and it's really, really fascinating, but um, it goes, if you look at all of human history, probably 99.999% of it has been about dealing with the issues of scarcity. In fact, our entire original economic philosophy, which is really just two and a half centuries old, was based on resource allocation in the presence of scarcity. Historically, abundance just hasn't been an issue that we've had to deal with very much. And the problem is that people try to apply the mental rules of scarcity to abundance, and they basically kick out an error message. It's a divide by zero sort of problem. You get infinity as a result, and you think it's wrong. So the response is almost always the same. Rather than actually trying to deal with what abundance enables, people try to force abundance back into a feeling of scarcity, which they're comfortable with. That is, they try to apply artificial rules and restrictions to make the abundance feel like it's scarce so that they can understand it again. And that's a remarkable article. Like, it, that, that last little piece is so true. Oh, it is. And, and I mean, the idea, like the idea of it, it's, it's one of those kind of counterintuitive ideas. We always kind of talk about those here on the show when things kind of seem backwards, but this is truly one of those. So let's talk about now examples of abundance. So all throughout this episode so far, we have mentioned little tidbits of, of, of what abundance does look like, but let's boil it down now to 
kind of some concrete ways that it does show up in all of our day-to-day lives. So the first one, and we have mentioned it here and there, but the first one, just to summarize it, is technology. And if you think of the internet, so technology is primarily primarily focused around the internet. We spend a lot of time finding information on the internet and then spending even more time trying to validate it with with. Uh, if you find enough websites that make the same claim, it must be true. And so if there was just one legitimate source, just say there was one news source you, you, that they, they, they could be trusted beyond trust. Like back in the day of the newspaper, there was journalism where people vetted stories and they wouldn't just put stuff in the paper because somebody told them they would go out and get the facts themselves, right? They, it was called a lead. They would get a lead from somebody and then they would go and do the investigation. Well, now with the internet, I mean, if you tried doing that, your news would be so old, nobody would read it, right? You'd be, you'd be writing news that was three, three weeks old by the time you'd finished your investigation and said, okay, we have all the facts now, let's write the story. So now we, we are left, there's so many people writing about the same thing that we are just trying to, we spend our time now, there's the abundance of information we are now, there's so much that we have to spend our time validating the information. So that that's when too much has gone bad. And I think some people could say, but Trevor, now with the abundance of, of news information online, we can make sure that we're not receiving a slanted viewpoint from, because some, some news sources may have different political views and, and slant their news articles that way. But I mean, I think honestly, that might just be a nuance in, in what it would look like if we could turn back time to, to what you just described. Here's another one. Have you ever been on Spotify? You're listening to a song and... Uh, I recommended, you know, if you like this song, you might like this song. And I have found myself on Spotify never list getting to the end of a song because there's, you know, I think, oh, I really like that next song. And I never actually fully listened to the song. So there's so many songs on Spotify. They, I, I, I'm anxious to listen to the next song so much that I don't actually finish. You know, I say to myself, well, I know how this song ends. <laughs> so I'll, I'll listen to the next song. And I, 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 I might be listening to Spotify for you know, a half hour. And I realized I've never listened to a complete song in this whole half hour. And that point right there is really why if we have, we have to ask ourselves ever why streaming services, whether it's TV, like Netflix, like those, all those plus streaming services, why those thrive? I mean, you, that's it right there, Trevor. We, we, we crave those, those, those options and the abundance of options, whether we finish the song or not. And I'll just take you back in the day. Back in the day, when we when we <laughs> had back rec- in the day when we had we had records, you know, you'd be sitting at your house with your, you'd invite a f- couple friends over, and just you'd tell them, hey, bring your favorite album, and you know, I'd have a couple of albums of my own, and they'd bring their favorite album, and we'd sit down, and you know, there might be ten songs on each album, and maybe we've got uh, a you know six albums between three of us. That's all the songs we got today. <laughs> so. We'd listen to every single song, and we'd discover songs on that album that would never make it to radio. But because there were so few songs that we had to li- that we had as an option to listen to, we listened to all of them, and we'd discover music that would be undiscoverable in today's world because of abundance. 
Oh, for sure. And before we do move on to the next example, which is communication, let's not also forget as well about how I, there's there's been a lot of research coming out about the nuances of how social media platforms are affecting us. But the abundance of, of stimuli that we do receive on these social media platforms, I think, cannot be not mentioned as well. Um, so the next, like I mentioned, is communication. And Trevor, you did mention email along with this. Well, and here's a here's a story. So going back 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 in the day, <laughs> this, this whole episode is going to be full of back in the day. But I remember when answering machines became a thing. I remember when they first came out. And I was the last one to the party on the answering machines. I really didn't like the idea of an answering machine. All my friends had answering machines. And I, I remember when I finally figured out I got to get an answering machine was so, so it used to be if somebody called you and you weren't home, well, they'd call back, right? And they'd call so many times. And if you if, just say you were being invited out with a bunch of friends and you would race home from work to find out where all your friends were going to be going and somebody would phone you and you'd answer the phone and, hey, we're going to meet here and you'd you'd meet them there and everything would work out. And then, you know, okay, you, they'd say, okay, can you phone, you know, Joe, Bob and Frank and I'm going to phone the other three guys and we'll all meet there. That, that's kind of how it worked before cell phones. And then all of a sudden, answer machines came out. And I'd go home on a Friday night, and my phone wouldn't ring and wouldn't ring. And I'd say, well, wonder what happened. And then I'd meet up with my friends the next day saying, hey, well, why didn't you guys call me? I said, we did. Your machine never picked up. <laughs> and I said, I don't have a machine. And that's why I didn't pick up. I don't, I don't have an answer machine. He goes, well, you got to get one because, you know, we had a great time last night. You missed it. And so the whole thing is with communication, you have you you have to be open to so much like there's no privacy like you you are inundated with communication now you want it so you don't miss information but there's so much of it you're actually just being overwhelmed by communication so communication if if we if we could go back in time before the internet and say okay we're going to do this communication thing completely different. There's going to be etiquette. There's going to be rules. There's going to be a, a pecking order. You know, you, this is your first line of communication. This is your second line, third line. You know, if you end up getting a phone call, this person has tried every possible way of getting hold of you and you get that phone call, you're answering it because you know it's it's urgent. Like nobody's nobody's calling you. Like I, I wish communication, nobody's phoning you unless it's like mission critical. But you get random phone calls all the time now, like people abuse it. So there's no etiquette to communication and the abundance, meaning the the amount of ways you can be contacted or communicated with are so overwhelming with no rules, no etiquette. I think communication in our society today, the abundance of it has broken communication. Oh, completely. So the third of five that we have listed as a really prime a really prevalent example of abundance is the global markets. And this one, this one we can all relate to. Well, and here's, so I'm, I'm going to keep going back in the day, but so I live in Ontario and way back there was this thing where you, there was the thing called no Sunday shopping. So stores would every, all stores. I mean, the town I live in, you couldn't even get gas for your car on Sunday. Everything closed on Sunday. Sunday, was a day where nothing happened. They, there was no commerce of any kind. And that seemed like an, an annoyance. It seemed like a pain, but it was actually a day to do nothing. That's, that's what it represented, a day of rest. And now 
we we've gone from you you can't buy anything to global markets. I can order something directly from China now, twenty four hours a day. That there is no stores closed. I mean, you can shop. Like, it used it, even when made in China happened, like there would be importers and retailers would would in, import and source stuff from China to sell in their stores. Now you can buy directly from China. There is no borders. There's no limitations. I, I think being able to buy anything at any time from anywhere that 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 can't be good economically for for an individual i mean you're there's so if you worked monday to friday back in the day and you only had saturday to shop and you you could only go to so many stores in, in a given day it would limit how much money you could actually spend you know you have the, the money that you earn from monday to friday you, you really had one day to spend it in and then sunday everything was closed now you could you could buy stuff from your your bed before you go to sleep on your phone. Now, and 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 with the with the abundance of options, too. I mean, the sky is the limit on how much we can spend in that global market arena. So I do agree with you. The fourth of five different examples where abundance is prevalent again is in in consumption. And I would invite everybody listening to this to even if you don't have anything, go visit your local dump your your local landfill or w- w- what we have here is we're, we're so far away from a, a landfill we have a, what's called the transfer station so that it's it's a bunch of dumpsters where they you put stuff in it and then they take those things to a landfill it, but if you can get to a landfill even better or get near one and just look at what consumption the the offshoot of consumption looks like in fact if you here's one I used to use plastic reuse, uh, disposable water bottles. You know, you buy a case of water, 24, and they're, I, this is quite a while ago, so don't judge me. <laughs> I've changed my ways. But I seen a picture of what one year's of one person drinking one bottle of pla- plastic bottle of water a day looks like, and it is disgusting. So consumption, the, the abundance of goods and, serv- the goods and services and all, all the things we have access to in our first world here in North America is it is environmentally destructive beyond comprehension. I mean, it is, it is out. So abundance, it, there's a cost to it. We, we just, we, we haven't had to pay the price yet. That's the problem. Yeah, no, that's, it, it, it is, it is shocking. And I actually, t- to your point, there is, it was kind of the opposite um, where, in where I live, it just a little bit west of where I live, you can go see this mound of grass and I've been told that under that mound of grass is a mound of garbage. So that's also, it's, it's any, anytime you can put a visualization around it within your local community, it's, 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 it's standing. Last thing on our list of examples is food. And this one, Trevor, you may mention to it, but there is definitely an abundance of food and Uber Eats has not made that any easier. Yeah. And I like to draw connections of personal finance to health and having access to too much food. So here's something we do, me and my wife do every week. Like we grocery shop once a week. We we get our, our staples of food run down, right? Where we're, we were out of, you know, you, you look in your fridge and there's nothing to eat. You're, you're out of everything. And we say, there's one more meal in this house. And what that is, is you become super resourceful to create a meal out of what appears to be nothing and usually it requires a little more effort, a little more creativity, but you end up with a, a new meal that you've never had before. 
And we do this weekly. And I challenge everybody listening to this podcast to run your groceries down so you're, you, somebody says, just one person says there's nothing to eat. You know, as soon as you hear there's nothing to eat, start the clock and wait 24 hours before you go grocery shopping. So you, you got to make lunches, breakfast, and supper out of what's left in your house. And I guarantee you there's a meal there of some kind. And what you'll do is you'll be, you'll become resourceful. You'll become you creative. And I think it's a, it's a skill worth developing. That's a, that's a really, really great idea and a great way to, uh, to challenge everyone. I love it. So we, we obviously have talked about and discussed the many problems with, with abundance, but Trevor's created a list where he's boiled down the five key problems associated with abundance that really tie into the examples we just provided. So number one, the first problem with abundance is no opportunity for resourcefulness. And I, I think if you, if you don't actually exercise your resourceful muscles, you will lose them. They will go away. You will get lazy. You will get. You will lose your creativity. Resourcefulness is is a skill. It's a muscle that you work on constantly. And if you have something in abundance, like just say you have eight rolls of duct tape. <laughs> okay, just say you got eight rolls of duct tape in your garage, and you're trying to fix something. I guarantee you, you're just going to throw duct tape at whatever in a haphazard way and you're just going to just throw it on there until it solves the problem. You know, one more roll of duct tape is going to fix this. But if you've got half a roll of duct tape and you're trying to fix something like I'm talking, uh, MacGyver, you know, makeshift fix something, you will get so creative with how you cut up duct tape. I've been here, I've done this and you will have the, the tiniest strips of duct tape and you will, you'll solve the same problem, but you'll do it in such a resourceful way. And so I hear something that drives me crazy. So my father, I'll go over to help him with something. And he's got a workshop. He's got a specialized tool for everything. Like, I mean, there isn't a tool. He's got tools. They have only one purpose in the entire world. This tool could only accomplish one thing. It's so complex. He's got a, a, a basement full of these tools. And when we're trying to f- fix something at his house, he will say, I've got a tool that'll do this. And I don't doubt for a minute that he does, but he will spend a great deal of time trying to find it. And when he finds it, it's, it's, it's complicated. And I love being resourceful. So me and him, we don't work well on projects because I like taking a, uh, a screwdriver and trying to fix something when you need a wrench. I, I just love doing something with a minimal an amount of tools and I take a lot of pride in knowing, hey, I did this with like a hammer, a r- adjustable wrench, and a screwdriver. And somebody else will have spread out tools across their whole driveway to do the same thing. I, I, I find that resourcefulness very challenging. Like I, lo- I, I love the challenge of being resourceful. And we talk a lot on the show about kind of the opposite of resourcefulness, and which is, which is a dangerous place to be. And that's more of a convenience mentality where we just if if we don't have the thing to fix the thing we don't have the thing to do the thing we kind of just give up because it's convenient to give up well and that's that's a great example like if you're trying to fix something one day and you do have this you know super tool that that that's just designed for this this job and you happen to have that tool and it solves your problem and without even breaking a sweat then 
you start to have unrealistic expectations for the next thing that breaks in your house, right? You get unrealistic expectations that there's, there's a magical tool to solve this problem when maybe there isn't and you do have to become resourceful. Oh, definitely. So the next problem with abundance, and this one's huge, is instant gratification. And this can be so addictive. I mean, you, you shop on Amazon and I've had people tell me they have clicked buy on Amazon and the thing has showed up in less than 24 hours later. Less than wow. 24 hours. You want to talk instant gratification. That's, if that doesn't make you want to buy something else, I don't know what will. Like, I mean, it just magically shows up. But that instant gratification is so dangerous. I mean, I, I love when I, when I want to buy something, I love analyzing it and shopping. And I, I love pondering it for a long time. So when I, when I finally do click buy on something, I know I have just thoroughly vetted this purchase to, to no end. And the, the instant gratification is the enemy of that. No, and, and I, I agree with that. And while you're talking about this, I, 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 I might be sidetracking the conversation immensely by asking this, but I think it could align well with, with point number two here, instant gratification. But I mean, Trevor, you are gearing up for retirement. You you have a lot of retirement savings or money kind of being poured towards your retirement savings. It's being very artfully and deliberately directed in that way. But I, I, you're no longer paying off a mortgage, supporting your children's um, university or college educations. I mean, you technically, if you were to rearrange everything, you would have an abundance of money currently at your disposal. So, I mean, do the, and, and I, I'm hearing you kind of wig jig and makeshift, just, just things together, like your resourcefulness. So when it comes to the idea of maybe instant gratification, I, you obviously have the right things aligned to not rely on that money for instant gratification purposes, but how 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 does how did how did the, how does that that mentality work? I guess I just love optimization. I love optimizing something. I love being efficient. I so I, I hate waste. So given unlimited resources, I'd still want to be able to you know given the unlimited resources to to go out and buy all the tools you could ever imagine you needed to fix a, a household problem. I'd still want to be resourceful. I, I, I love that challenge. I, I feel so great when my resourcefulness sort of delivers. So even, even if I had, so just say I decided, you know, I'm going to work another 10 years. What the heck? <laughs> That's not going to happen. But just say I did. I would all of a sudden have a huge surplus of money that I really could be, uh, I would have an abundance of money. <laughs> so, yeah. And, and that, and that I must could be a be, thing though. That must be a thing that you see but in I could society. Be, I could be super wasteful with it and buy a $65,000 truck and not even think about it. But I, I, I love, you know, making a car last like 13, 14. I got a car that's 16 years old in my driveway. I love, I hope it makes it to 20. I, I just love extending the life of things and, and, and looking after things and just squeezing every last ounce of goodness out of everything I own. I love throwing out clothes that are just torn and worn. And my wife says, you got to get rid of that. I love it when my wife says, you got to get rid of that. That's done. And I, and then those things turn into rags for my workshop and garage. And I just, 
I love squeezing the goodness out of every last thing. So even given unlimited uh, supply of money, I'd still want to optimize and be resourceful. Yeah, no. And and, and I'll, I'll get this conversation back on track in a moment. But one more question for you around that. It, you, I'm sure, work with a lot of individuals or interact with a lot of individuals who maybe are empty nesters and have a little bit more abundance in the amount of, of wealth that they do have. Do you see this often kind of more choices, more options, more things to do with their money than maybe an individual knows what to do with? Is, is that is that something you ever do see in your day-to-day? So here's something I, I see, and I, it just breaks my heart when I see it happening, and I wish I could get in, in front of it and stop it, but I, it's not my place, and I, I'd, it, I'm sure the people I've seen do this wouldn't listen to me anyway. But So this family, they, they're really res- financially responsible. They, they raise a family. They put them through school. They pay off their mortgage, and they live in a modest home, and their kids, they move move out and they become empty nesters. All of a sudden, they have all the money to buy the house of their dreams. Mm, yeah. And, and they they and the house is opulence beyond what they need. It's it's excess beyond excess. It's in it, there's only be two people living in it, and they buy the house of their dreams when they need it the least. And it's so okay. You you can sell that house you easily I don't think you're going to lose money doing it but I think what a what a I look at it as is so wasteful like you're they, actually you know it is a waste because they end up moving in and they end up filling it with furniture they currently don't own there's, there's this bigger house you got to fill it with furniture and those bigger houses tend to be uh, fancier and then, then if you do a home improvement or a home renovation a, a bigger house it's going to cost more to to do the home improvement so it ends up costing them money and I and then they end up staying in it longer than they they should, and then they, I, I don't know. I, I've seen so many people go down that road, and I, I just think it's a, a bad decision. Yeah, no, I I have heard of the same story, so that that does and that 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 makes sense. Um, so so back into our our list of the problem with abundance. Number three is the third problem with abundance that it requires artificial restraint. So so what does that mean? So if something is scarce truly scarce then the restraint is if they don't if they don't have one i can't ha- i can't get it right if if it's a if it's a one of a kind and somebody buys it then it's not like i, I can have the same one of a kind i get something isn't limited supply if, if you don't have one then it's it, it's it's gone but if something's in abundance and y- you you need to create some sort of discipline to stop yourself from overconsumption. And a lot of people are lacking self-discipline of, of, of different kinds. Amazon has a unlimited supply of, of Bluetooth earbuds. <laughs> like they, they go off forever. And I have a restraint built in. It's called my wife. <laughs> and that's how I don't lose my mind on Bluetooth earbuds. I, I have an aff- affection for those. And I, I, I have probably more than I need, but I don't... I, I have an abundance of Bluetooth earbuds, but if not for my wife, I, I would have uh, far more, right? So you, you end up with this built-in, you know, I was talking about this thing. So my iPhone, I, my, I have an iPhone 6 and just anyone who's listening, they've come up with the iPhone 11. So I, I don't buy, like I'm waiting for my phone to wear out, right? It, to, to the battery to die or it to not perform as a phone anymore. I, I have the discipline. I, to 
restrain myself from these things because my, my built-in restraint is I love to wear things out. I love to take them to the end of their useful life. And that is my built-in restraint. I've developed that over my lifetime, but the people who don't have a built-in restraint or, okay, just say my wife was the only thing, my accountability partner, say my accountability partner, who, who if that's your only restraint, was having an off day and they didn't restrain you, you know, they're, they're kind of tired and they said, I'll go ahead, I'm tired of talking to you, order your Bluetooth earbuds and be done with it. You know, if that conversation happened, like you, you're relying on some artificial thing that might fail you. So if something is in abundance and then your artificial restraint could fail you and that, that's a problem. I love that. And I, I have more questions for you on that point, but I'm going to save that for um, a point within our how to solve the abundance problem, which we're talking about next after this. But uh, to, to finish off this list, the the fourth problem with abundance is that it involves the paradox of choice. And this is, you know, paralysis by analysis. When th- something's in abundance and you've got too many choices, you end up a lot of people, me being one of them, get very frustrated with with too many options. And here, so I'm not in the market for a new car, but when you buy a new car, they they tend to come in a multitude of colors. Like I, I don't know how you would choose a color if you're ordering a brand new car. It's such a big purchase, and the color is it, you don't know what color. Like I assume your car is going to last ten years old. You might want a red car in year one, you might wish it was a different color in year 10. Like having too many choices for me is problematic. Some people, they, they love that. They love choice. I, I struggle with, with too many options. And so when something's, when choice is in abundance, it is very paralyzing to me. But do you think people just like the idea of choice and don't actually like choice itself? Do, do, do you think that, do you think anyone actually enjoys choice at the, at the bottom, the very the very end of it actually enjoys choice i think people would like uh just say they can make a choice and and just they couldn't if their choice was unique and nobody else chose it like okay we'll go back to these iphones they come out in so many colors right and they if you if just say there was purple i think there is actually and nobody had purple phones and you you ordered the purple phone you might have something unique right that so some people might like choice from that standpoint but i think most people they they get frustrated with too much choice. So little, little tangent of a story. Actually, I recently, here, no, here's something just, so the, the people that shop at Costco, when they buy something and I said, Oh, how did you settle on that particular dinette? And they said, what's well, the only one. I mean, there was only two left. We had to buy it. And the, there's that, that scarcity. They, you know, when I ask you, how did you settle on that color of dinette? they they passed right past that saying well there's only two left i mean that was it it was those that one or nothing and the they seem pretty excited about that so i i think i think more people struggle with choice than they would lead you to believe no i i agree with that and i i, I want to tell my tangent of a story here because i so i recently got a new phone and let me tell you, that process was so stressful between deciding if I wanted Apple Care on it. It was an iPhone, by the way, iPhone reference, of course, but 
I, I wanted app like Apple Care on it. What case I wanted? What size I wanted? What phone I wanted? I mean, it in my my heartbeat. Like my heartbeat every time I walked in the Apple store because I walked in a few different times. Of course, I couldn't make any choices while I was there. This every time I went in, so I went back maybe four times to make different choices. And wow, like the choices really do. Do you raise your heartbeat a little bit or a lot? Well, let me take you back to 2007. Uh, hi, do you want an iPhone or you don't want an iPhone? <laughs> that was your choice. It was really easy. Yeah, yeah. Like, and it's it's definitely not that way anymore. Last but not least on our list of the problem with abundance is that without a limit, the answer is always more Bluetooth headphones. I mean, just always more. <laughs> yeah, the answer always being more is that is the default answer when in our like in our if you, if netflix or another streaming service came out i mean nobody's seeing that as a bad thing right more more like i think more is not always the best answer not the best solution but i love built-in limitations i mean if i didn't set a a retirement date in a retire in a in a sort of a a financial independence number, then the answer would always be more. You know, I'd always work one more year, and and I to have a little bit more money, and I think abundance. Why not one more? Right? It, it's I think more. If more is the answer, is your go to solution to a problem or a dilemma or like. Would you have wanted one more choice when you're buying your iPhone? Just one more option? Oh, no. No, thank you. Like no. Pe- people think a, a, an abundance of choice is is a good thing, but one more option is probably, it could be the thing that pushes you over the edge. So without scarcity, like without that, some built-in limiter, more is always going to be considered optimal or, or or beneficial when really I don't think it is. And even even when you're in marketing tactic, I believe, but when you're in the buying process of whether, Trevor, whether it's a car, you recently went through that, or whether it's an iPhone, I mean, you were made to feel ridiculous that you don't want more when you're buying that thing. What do you mean you don't want three cameras? What do you mean you don't want unlimited data? What do you mean you don't want a like a thing that hovers as you as you drive it like there there's always that what do you mean you don't want more and that is where it is going so i think keeping your head on straight and 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 really staying true to your values which we'll talk about in the next section but i that's it that has to be important well you know you mentioned cars one thing i love about buying used cars is there is a limited number of choices at any given time like it is not limitless like these uh, so you you kind of put some self-imposed restrictions on. So I, I like to shop local. So I buy, if I'm buying a used car, I'm buying it in my town or a surrounding town. I'm not going into the big city. So there's only so many used, and I kind of decided on a, a brand or a couple of brands. Like you, you narrow yourself down and based on your, your automotive needs. And I love with used cars. Like this is it. Like if I need a car in the next month or so, these this I got to pick one of these. I love that there's a limited number of cars. It's not. I'm never gonna have buyer's remorse. It's not like, like if I don't like the color of my car, it's not like there was a, a, another color. Or if I don't like the 
something about my car. Like I have very little remorse, buyer's remorse when I'm buying a used car because at the time I knew these were my choices. So in saying that, I do want to move on to the next section because what you're saying there does resonate with, I think the first way, the first how and how we can solve the abundance problem. You've mentioned it, you mentioned it too while we were talking in the previous section, but the idea of self-imposed limitations and, and, and it sounds to me like that is really what comes into play when you are yourself working with the abundance problem. So in an effort to solve abundance problems in your life, I, I choose to I choose to be a minimalist in most aspects of my life, right? So I, I, I like to own, I find it a very simplistic lifestyle and I, I really enjoy not bringing complexity in by owning multiple redundant things. So I think if you could impose something like minimalism on some aspect, you, if you don't want to do it in your whole life, do it on some aspect of your life. Say it's clothing. Say it's consumer electronics. Say it's streaming services. Say it's music service, like your, your music. You put some parameters around some aspect of your life and, and see how you enjoy, if you enjoy your, that aspect of your life more. If you, if you remove the abundance by putting self-imposed things like, I am a minimalist when it comes to clothes. You know, I, I, I'm going to have, here. I have one week's worth of clothes in my closet at any given time. Like forget this. There's seasons. Okay, I, they, I I have more than a week. If if I'm willing to wear t-shirts and shorts in January, okay, I got more. Than, I got more than a week's worth of clothes. But if I look at my closet, I have a week's worth of clothes. So I I, I do laundry once a week. So it kind of works out well that way. And if my washer ever broke, I don't know what I would do. I'd probably go to a laundromat. But I I love the simplicity of my clothing. I'm a minimalist when it comes to clothes. And if something wears out, I replace that article of clothing. So. Self-imposed limitations are a great way to deal with the problem of abundance. So I think the key word in this is being is is self-imposed because then I'm guessing because it is self-imposed, you don't feel restricted. But if if I if I have a family, if I have a partner, and and I'm trying to get everyone on board, is do you have any tips or tricks on how this can really become a group effort and and trying to convince others around you that it's not actually you're not limited. You're actually enabled. I, I don't know that you need to convince other people. Here, here's an example of, of my diet. I, I have imposed limitations in that I'm a vegan. I don't eat dairy or meat. So a plant-based diet. So that is a, a self-imposed limitation, which I think is helping my health greatly. So, I mean, people can argue the point. It's It's a choice. But I... That's an that's a self-imposed limitation. There's nothing physically stopping me from eating meat or dairy. I just have chosen not to. So it's more the benefits that you reap from that self-imposed limitation that make you feel not restricted and and not held back. Well, one thing I find is life is a lot simpler when you when you okay if you limit yourself to being a vegan. Grocery shopping is really efficient and simple. Uh, food preparation is real simple and easy. I I, I think. It it's created a great deal of resourcefulness in, in terms of creating foods that are taste good and and, and sort of fall under the vegan um, umbrella. I I think that that limitation that so I've removed so from it you start with every food in the grocery store is available to you. I have 
self-imposed limitations that I only buy plant-based foods. So it's, it, I think it creates a super efficient everything to do with the consumption of food, the acquisition of food, the cooking of food. It, it's, it's super efficient, optimized resourcefulness. I love that. That's a, it's a great example of, of being in the grocery store and, and, and thinking that way. The next way that we can solve the abundance problem it was, is with a narrow focus. And this one comes in, like, just say you have a hobby. I, I don't know, pick, pick your hobby. It could be, uh, so here's one. I like furniture making. So that, that's a hobby of mine. So if you wanted to make furniture, you want to ever make every kind of furniture going, you'd need every kind of tool that exists, right? You need a, then all of a sudden you need a bigger shop. You need a, a, lots of money invested. So why don't you just focus yourself down to being a chair maker. So you just make chairs. That's all you make is chairs and you make every kind of chair or, or maybe you make a particular era of chairs, like maybe a, a Windsor style chair. But the, the idea is to go 10 feet deep on your hobby, not 10 feet wide. And the, you're again, you're, you're self-imposing this limitation. I'm a chair maker, not a furniture maker. And all of a sudden you're going to spend a lot less money on that hobby, but you're going to be an expert on chairs. I mean, nobody's going to make chairs better than you. And it's going to be super rewarding. And, and you're going to be so engaged that there's probably people that you could connect with that are in that same circle. So that's an example of, of just being... So here's... I like mountain biking, like riding trails with my bicycle. So I don't like road riding. I find it kind of dangerous and it boring. So I, I like just that aspect of, but if I liked all aspects of bicycling, then I'd need, you know, a, a multitude of bicycles to, to meet all those various needs. So that's an example how bicycling can, you know, I've narrowed the focus on that. So it's, I, I think going 10 feet deep instead of 10 feet wide on any interest is, is a way of, of reducing the abundance of options. With that specific uh, that specific activity, though, was it easier for you to narrow the focus simply because you already didn't like road biking before? And would you have the same advice as someone who actually does genuinely love all areas of cycling? Or would you say, you know what, just even though you love all of them, maybe just for now, just dig, dig deep on the one that you love the most? Would you still get that same advice? Well, how I ended up with this is I was, I had a like a 20 year old bicycle it was all worn out it was this like a bike from the 1980s so that that's the bicycle i had and i wanted to get a, a new sort of modern bicycle this is going back this bike i have right now is 10 years old so this is going back 10 years ago and i was overwhelmed by the the the, the things you can buy in bicycles i mean it goes on forever i, I didn't know how to, to how to filter down my choices i was overwhelmed with the abundance of bicycle choices so a person asked me, well, what kind of bicycling do you want to do? And I said, well, I never really thought about that. I just want a bicycle. And like, what kind of type of bicycling is there? And so they described the various things. And I said, well, that mountain biking sounds interesting. So I went home and I actually bought a, a magazine on bicycling. And I, I, I was reading it, found it interesting, and uh, did a bit of internet research. And I, I decided, you know, I'm going to just go 10 feet deep on mountain biking. That's going to be my thing. And so the acquisition of a bicycle is what which, which made me go in that direction. It, it simplified the choice. Oh, and, and that's a super organic way that you got there. So I really love that. Um, so the last two points 
that we're going to talk about in this episode, but how to solve the abundance problem, things you can actually implement in your life to cut down on that overwhelming feeling is by knowing and understanding and implementing a value system. So I've talked about value systems before. These are pre-made decisions. So with a, so everyone knows I don't buy new cars. I buy used cars. I, I don't have to worry about all the new cars that are available in a car lot. I'm buying a used car. So having a value system, I, I love buying used clothes, like at a value village. I, I find that finding those needles in the haystack, I, I, I have the means to buy new clothes and I have the means to buy new cars, no question. But I love buying those things used. I just find it exciting. And that's my value system. So I don't, in another value system I have, I go into a restaurant, I don't order alcohol with a meal. I just don't do that. That's just, I, I, I have the means to order, like financial means to order alcohol with a meal. I just don't do it. It's, it's something I just, I decided a long time ago, I don't need to do this. So having a value system can help you solve the problem of abundance in, in many ways. And lastly, but not least, the fourth way on how to solve the abundance problem is view abundance as an opportunity to share. So if you do have something in abundance, you have too much of something, then then share what you have. Like be, be share your information, share your, your excess with other people. So if you have a closet full of clothes you never wear, donate those clothes. That's how you deal with that abundance. You know, pare down your closet to the clothes you really like, get rid of the clothes you don't, somebody else might want them. And that I think speaks to kind of a less, less overabundant kind of so inner surrounding within your home probably relates to a, a clear, more, more settled mind as well, because less things, less thing to worry about as well. So that brings us to the end of today's episode on the problem with abundance. I do have a final uh, final thing to close the episode out with, but just to run through what we talked about today, we talked about the problem scarcity, the problem with abundance. We talked, we gave some examples about what that, what abundance looks like today in our lives and, and kind of what scarcity does as well. We talked about the revolutionary promises of, of what each era promised to, to do for us and we concluded the show by talking about examples of abundance, the problem, the five core problems with abundance and how to solve the abundance problem with tangible, tactical tips and strategies that we can implement in our life today. So to close the show off, we have a quote from The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. It is a book by Stephen Covey. And he writes, the abundance mentality is a paradigm that there's plenty out there and enough to spare for everybody. It results in sharing of prestige, of recognition, of profits, of decision-making. It opens possibilities, options, alternatives, and creativity. On that note, thank you so much for being here with us this week for this episode of Simple Money Solutions Podcast. Again, we're going to be touching on listener write-ins, listener questions, and listener feedback in the next episode. So if there is anything you like to contribute, you can do so by finding the details in our show notes. Thank you so much for joining us this week for a new episode. We can't wait to see you back here with us next week for a brand new show. Until then, keep it simple.